What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Labyrinth podcast. This podcast is powered by Reps for Responders, a nonprofit based in New York. This episode is sponsored by No Matter What Apparel and Valor Supplements. Both of these companies are owned by first responders, so let's give back to first responders who give back to us. Use the code in caps inside the lab for 10% off your total purchase at www.nomatterwhatapparel.com. Use the code in caps RFR, then the number 10 for 10% off your checkout at www.valorsupplements.net. In this episode, Frank and Jay had the honor and privilege to speak with retired NYPD detective Ralph Friedman, known as the most decorated detective in NYPD history. All we could say is, wow, we were blown away. Ralph really painted a great picture for us and all the listeners to hear in this podcast. We want to thank Ralph for coming on our show and sharing your strengths, experience, and hope. For any law enforcement officer, active or retired, this is a must-listen and a must-share. For any New York City resident, past or present, this is a must-listen. Please, if you guys enjoyed this podcast and support our mission, please share, subscribe, you know, all that good stuff that people always say. But we really appreciate it. On that note, everyone, have a great week. Bye now. Ralph is the author of Street Warrior, the true story of the NYPD's most decorated detective in the era that created him. You can find his book on Amazon. I highly recommend this book. I have two copies. You can also find Ralph's film series, Street Justice, The Bronx, which is available on Amazon Prime and Investigation Discovery. I hope you guys check out the book and the documentary. This really, really, really puts in perspective how New York City was in the 70s and 80s. And also... Ralph's heroic actions throughout his whole entire career. Enjoy the show, guys. back to the Inside the Labyrinth podcast. I am here. I'm super excited today. Um, we've been trying to get this done for a while. And my boy Frankie always finds a way to make the magic happen. And he pulled some strings, made some phone calls and made this happen. So um, I'm going to introduce my boy Frankie V of Reps for Responders. How we doing? How we doing? Welcome back to Inside the Labyrinth podcast. Season five, episode six, our second ever in-person podcast. Yeah. I'm super excited. We have a legendary and honorable guest today. Um, before I introduce him, please like, subscribe, do what you guys got to do to pass inside the labyrinth message around. Um, this is really for you guys to increase your emotional and physical survivability skills of first responders and set, pass the message around. So we appreciate all the listens. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce the one and only Ralph Friedman, Retired NYPD detective, the street warrior. Ralph, how you doing today, man? Welcome. Join us. How you doing, Frank? The legend. Got to preface that, man. The legend, bro. The legend. So how you feeling today, Ralph? Good, Jason. Good, Thanks man. Thanks for having me here. Dude, it is a it is an absolute honor to have you uh, sitting amongst us. I used to always hear stories about you. And, uh, <laughs> Anything good? All good stuff, man. Okay. All good stuff. Uh, there was a guy I used to work with uh, who was end up, he ended up being a uh, deputy commissioner. His name was Gary McCarthy. Used to talk very highly of you, 
And um, that's before, like, I just got on the job. I didn't know much. I didn't even know who he was until I found out that he was a guy that was partly responsible for Operation Impact. But he had a decent amount of time on the job and would always talk about, you know, guys who had uh, a great reputation for being good street cops. And your name always came up. So um, I've been on 16 years, man, and I've been, and I've been trying to meet this man for 16 years. <laughs> And Frankie figures out a way to make it happen. And then you somehow know my boy, Mikey over here, man, Cuso, my guy over here. My so. bodyguard. Bro. Yeah, my exactly. Yeah, like so, um, you know, um, I'm very stoked. I'm super happy to, to have you with us. It's an honor. And, no, it's um, my honor. Thank you for oh, having man, me. Oh, man, I appreciate here. you. I appreciate you. No, it's, it's an honor to be here. How you feeling, Frankie? Good, dude? I'm feeling good. I'm ready to go through this labyrinth. All right, Let's man. make it happen. Before we hop in, I just want to show you guys Ralph's book, Street Warrior. Check it out. It is written by the one and only... The legendary Ralph Friedman. So please check that out on his website. We'll have all the links to Ralph's uh, books. He also has a documentary on Amazon. So please check that guy. Check that out. So Ralph, we want to jump into your labyrinth, your mind. On uh, how was Ralph way before the job, high school? What was your mind at? Were you into working out? Were you into any sports? But how was Ralph in in high school? Well, I was into sports. I was on the school uh, baseball team in junior high school. When I went to high school, Clinton in the Bronx. Oh, DeWitt Clinton. All right. DeWitt Clinton. All right. BX. DeWitt C. Yeah. I played football for an outside league. I was on a team called the Panthers. And I was always into, I got into bodybuilding and physical fitness at an early age, like 12. And um, never developed habits of uh, drinking or smoking or drugs or eating garbage food or anything like that. And uh, it helped me through my whole life, especially in the department. Uh, it gave me a mindset of going in with a warrior mentality. You know, I, when I went to work, I thought I was going into, uh, like, battle. You know, we, I was always worked in proactive units. I got into the anti-crime unit quick. And I would use that stuff of my teenage years uh, to handle the job. I went in there with a—I uh, always wanted to be rested. I made sure I slept well. I ate well, mm -hmm. worked out before I went in. And I was going in there to do a job. And I wanted to be physically ready for it. Awesome. Um, you know, we felt it was like a battle out there. Yeah. And oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. we were always taught when you went through the academy, the training was, uh, I'm sure it's much different today. <laughs> but uh, we did full contact boxing, full contact judo. Um, you were taught that you are the police and you win no matter what. No matter what Absolutely. force or whatever had to be done to affect no an what. arrest. And they wanted you to make arrests. But... We had a mindset uh, that you went out there and you win no matter what. They use a stick, uh, their hands, you use a stick. They use a stick, you use your gun. You know, you, you're the police. Absolutely. You make that, you tell someone they're under arrest, that's it. You know, there's yeah. only two choices, the old, easy way or the hard way. Yeah, that's that old school mentality right there. Um, so you're, you're born and raised in the Bronx, right? Yep. What hospital were you born in? Bronx Hospital. Bronx Hospital. On Fulton Division. Oh, man. Wow. This, dude, this guy's Bronx through and through. Uh, where'd you go to uh, elementary school? Uh, the four, uh, four, PS46. PS, on, uh, PS46? Yeah, 196th Street and Briggs Avenue. Yeah, man. This guy's... You know the area, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, was, uh, I was born in uh, North Central Bronx. Um, I was born in the Bronx, raised in the Bronx, schooled in the Bronx, had my first jobs in the Bronx, Bronx. and uh, then had my police career was all the Bronx. Yeah, man, he's the definition of New York right here. <laughs> Um, I'm you, bronxed you, out. Bronxed out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so high school, or you played sports. Um, what made you 
want to become a police officer. That's like something I always ask guys because um, I know me, I came from a family of police officers. Well, that was the thing. I had no family okay. and no friends that were police officers. I never even thought about becoming a police officer. Really? You know, I, uh, I wanted, my parents wanted me to go to college, which I didn't want to do. Yeah. I wanted to get out there, earn my own way. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I was out with some friends on a Friday night. And I said to them, what are you doing tomorrow? And they, tomorrow, it said being Saturday, they said, oh, we're going to take the police test. I said, the police test? I, I was like, <laughs> are you kidding? Because it never came up. You know, we weren't bad guys, but yeah. we weren't like families and stuff on the job, okay. like yourself. Yeah. So it just, it never even came into my mind. And then when I got out of high school, uh, my father got me a good job since he knew he couldn't get me to go to college. He got me into the moving business. Okay. I worked for, in New Rochelle, it was a big famous place at the time, uh, Neptune Worldwide Movers. Okay. And uh, it got pretty well known because later on there was a guy that went crazy there and he was like a Nazi and he started shooting up the whole place and it was a very big thing that made national news. Wow. And, uh, but I, I already left there, right? So uh, I was moving furniture, which was like, you know, like a plus to adding to the workout because yeah. I work out like two hours a day and then I'd go to work and lift it lift stuff there for 10 hours a day, you know? So, and I was getting paid very well. The pay was outrageous for the time. I was making $4 and 50 cents an hour. Wow. And the rest of the state was making a dollar 15. Okay. And they had to work 40 hours. some things hour. in perspective. Yeah. Okay. And they had to work a 40 hour week to get overtime. When you were in a mover, you got overtime. If you worked 10 hours in one day, you automatically got two hours overtime. Oh, wow. It was a good job. Okay. You know, but then when these guys said they were taking the test in those years, it was a walk-in. Really? So, could, so you, there was no filing fees, no filing in advance, okay. making appointments. You just walk in. If you were walking down the street, and you, you go in. And the ironic thing is they get, we did the walk-in in Clinton High School. Oh, wow. I see. There you go. Bronx, Bronx again. Bronx it was meant to be. It's there real, you go. The real Bronx bomber. <clears throat> yeah, so I said bombers. to them, yeah. if, you wanna, if you want, knock on my door. If I'm up, I'll go. You know, wow. They knocked on my door. I was up. I went with them. I took the test. I felt I did pretty good. Yeah. And... Uh, once I took the test and went home, then I started thinking about it. I said, you know, I'm going to be lifting the same couch and refrigerator on day one <laughs> that I am on 20 years later. Yeah. I said, on the police, there was a, a, a place where I can make a career without college. Gotcha. Because in those years, you didn't, you just had to get a, out of high school or get a GED. Yeah. You didn't need a, you didn't need the 60 the, the credits, credits yeah. or nothing like that. It was, that was like unheard of back then. So I just want to put something in perspective. What year is this that you decided to become a police officer? Well, I took the test in 67. Took the test in 67, people. All right. Okay. Continue. And so they called sure. me in 68. All right. Right. They called me like right away. Yeah, that's actually pretty later, quick. Yeah. You know, and I was too young. I had, you had to be 21. All right. So I was 19 now in 68, but they hired me. The police department hired me to be a, a program that, uh, I don't know if they still have it today, but it was a police trainee. Okay, so kind of like the cadets. They, it's the cadets were a little different because I think they had to go to co they were going to college, college. and oh, they were giving okay, up right. some time. You're absolutely right. I'm sorry about they, that. They were like they had to give a couple of years, and they would get some college paid for. There was something with school involved. Gotcha. This was just straight up training. Straight up right. training. Okay. You did anything a police officer did, but inside wow. and unarmed. Okay. You did 124 work. You did TS work. 124, in case you have civilians listening yes. or other departments, 124 was you take complaints, complaint crime baby. reports, and type them up. And uh, 
Then there was the TS, which is the telephone switchboard. Right. We had the old switchboard where you plug in the Man, pin. Man, listen, this is you know, great. It was I love crazy it. Yeah. stuff. You know, like um, we didn't have computers. Were they called sixty ones back then too? Yeah. Kid, sixty one. Some things bro. don't change. Go. Some things don't change. I, you think you would like paperwork after getting that, that <laughs> right. early start? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I still hate paperwork. Oh, you know, man. but it comes with the territory, like injuries. You know, certain things come with being a cop. All right. You know, the danger, the injury, and the paperwork. Yeah. So sixty eight, they call you. Right. And You're nineteen. I'm nineteen. It was January twenty uh, eighth, or uh, yeah, January twenty eighth or thirtieth of sixty eight. Okay. I become a trainee. What precinct, so, what precinct was that? So they send me right away. Well, first we went to the academy to get, you know, your paperwork and, like, sign into the police department in the city of New York. Job. <laughs> Here you go, kid. <laughs> right? And, yeah. And they, what they did was they gave us a course in fingerprinting. Okay. So we became fingerprint technicians. And what that was for, because in 1968, they started this thing in New York City that you had to register long arms. Really? Rifles and shotguns. Oh, I didn't know this. See? And everybody volunteered. Believe it or not, they put it out to the public that if you don't register, you'll be arrested if you get caught with a long arm. But you have to walk in voluntarily to a precinct. Okay. And be fingerprinted. Gotcha. And I was assigned to the 44th precinct Four in the Bronx, four. which was a busy house. Very busy. In the uh, west side of the Bronx, down by Yankee Stadium, Stadium. area. Yes. And it was the old 4-4. It was the one... Right on the water. Right, yeah, right by the Deegan. Now right, it, right yeah. by the right. Deegan. CRC and it was, uh, is there now. Yeah, CRC, CRC is there, right. Now yeah. it's a, uh, I think it was a task force for a while. Yeah, it was, ta it was Brown's task now force. Now it's probably uh, SRG. That's what it is, SRG, SRG, not CRC. I'm sorry, CRC, I think it's like Randall's Island or something like that. Yeah, All right, So I get assigned there, and we're fingerprinting, and people are coming in and getting fingerprinted. We're doing that for six months, and then they came up with a new thing. The city of New York invented 911. Oh, Okay. Because it used to be, uh, believe it or not, there was uh, communications in each borough. You had to call a 10-digit number, and you'd get connected. And uh, you're going to like this, Jason. Okay. Because in the Bronx, it was the 4-6 precinct. There's a garage in the back. Yeah. That was CU. Oh, wow. That was Bronx Communications. Oh. See, so it's we coming get, full circle now. I'm loving it. So now they're going to condense it all and make a 9-11 system, 911 system. Okay. And... It was working at a police headquarters, which was 240 Center Street. Okay. It's a big building right between, um, I think, Spring and Broom. And Broom was the main property clerk. Gotcha. Right? I think that was where the famous uh, French Connection stuff was stolen from. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we were that big, fancy, Gothic-looking building. And I was assigned there midnights and uh, doing the uh, 911 system. Central. Did that for a year and a half. Until uh, uh, February 2nd, almost like it was two years. I did that until I got appointed a, a patrolman. Wow. PTL. So, so then so then you go to the academy then. Right. Damn. Right before that, went that to the, and then how, went to the academy. How, how long was that academy? Was it six four months? months. Four it was four, months. Four months? Okay, cool. Four months of four hours of class, three hours of gym, an hour of <laughs> lunch. And we only did eight, eight to fours. And they had certain rules that I heard they don't have today because they changed. Let me hear these <laughs> rules. I need to hear these rules. One rule was the Cinderella rule. That means you had to be home by 12 o'clock midnight on any night, even on your day offs. Holy shit. You know, like Saturday and Sunday. We went to the academy. Yeah, that's a, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even know what the hell. No, they didn't have that when I was right, in right, there. So. So that is smart. And the, other, and the Cinderella only way you would get in trouble, obviously, if you got into a fight or an injury or a car accident gotcha. or some, something that was recorded by the police, then you'd get jammed up. 
So that was the Cinderella law. And you went to the academy four months, just ate the fours. And the other big rule was, which we all broke, we broke all the rules, but uh, <laughs> the other rule was you weren't allowed to drive to work. Okay. You had to take public transportation. And now you are a presence. You're on the subway or the train. Yes. And you're in a gray uniform, okay, head I did to that. toe, and you carried a big bag, yep. a big gym bag, and on top of it, you had and your nightstick. You had your baton. Okay, I did the yeah. same thing. All right, cool. I don't feel so bad now. Wait, so... um, Well, that was the old school stuff. I kind of cheated the system a little bit. I would drive down, and it, so you couldn't park in the confines of the 13th. So right. I would, we I would put it in a garage. Yeah, I would, I would drive... Um, down towards Alphabet City, and I would take the bus up, but we'd have to stand and have your um, your bag in your um, your non dominant hand, and they would have guys on the street like inspections that would run up on you and take deportment cards if you had it in your dominant hand. The pink card. Yep. Well, we had a thing. I think it was called. Um, we it was actually. I know it. Was, we they had it was called gig cards. Gig cards. Okay. A gig card. Don't even ask me what that means. But that it's a military. Call. It's a military thing. Because I remember my dad oh, okay. used to always tell me, make sure your gig line straight. So that's when your oh, okay. uh, your uniform, right? So your your buttons have to match where your belt buckle is. If that was out of line, you got a department card taken from you. That was another thing. And well, that's where I guess where it came okay, from. Okay, that's where right. it came from. Absolutely. And yeah, yeah, you know, the police department's always considered semi-military. Yeah, paramilitary. So, absolutely. Paramilitary. So it came from. You're right. From yeah. your father yeah. was right about that. All right. So that's what they call them gig guards. So four month academy, right? Right. So I want people to 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 understand too uh, the time frame that you were a police officer. Um, New York City was going through it at that time. Um, that's right. There was a lot and of financial hardships, right? Well, the fi financial hardships hit a head in 1975. 75. Okay. All right. So we were heading towards that. Heading, heading okay. towards. But the big problem of 1970 or in the late 60s, mm -hmm. like six, when I was in the, when I was a trainee and going into the academy and yeah. becoming a patrolman, uh, the big thing was the NAP commission. NAP commission. Okay. That was a big, big corruption probe where they were locking up cops by the dozens per day. Okay. And it was all televised. Really? Is that Serpico? I was actually, is that Serpico? Is yes. That, right? Yep. Okay. Wow. That's what it was. And they, the guys were telling me, you see, now you look back and you say, yeah, we were the real cops and we were, you know, that's when you could be a cop. But the, job, the guys were all saying at that time, it was a big, it was tremendous. It was an overhaul of the whole entire New York City police department. And everyone was saying, the job's dead, kid. Really? The job's dead. Like they say now. Like it goes through now, these yeah. periods. It's you know, funny. It's funny how history later. kind of repeats itself. I think right. there's a tremendous change in the job every 20 years. Yes. It goes through. My father told I, me the I, same thing. 20 years seems to be it. Like that generation. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a big, something big happens that just converts the department. Yep. You know, either, you know, how they police or what's going on and what changes the, uh, the whole structure. Got you. And this was the NAP commission thing. And I started out the job, you know, when you get out of the academy, getting back to the academy, you get out and that's it. You're on your own. You go to a precinct mm -hmm. and you just aren't, there's no field training, no NSU, no, no, all these things that break you in. They just put you on the street. You don't even know where you're supposed to be. They tell your kid, you got post five. Yep. You got to find a map and find out where the hell's post five. <laughs> you know, that kind of brings back memories to when I got out, when I got out, um, like I said, I, I went to the, uh, four, six precinct. Right, I was Operation Impact, and they literally gave me a radio and a map and said, kid, you got post 5-5 five, five and 5-6. Five, That's Davidson Ave. Go figure it out. Yeah. And it's the blind leading the blind. So it was a bunch of newbies out there walking on foot, don't know where the hell they're going. Leather smells brand new. Shield Every, is super yeah. shiny. Everybody knows your Everybody knows, knows your brand, knows new, street, your brand right? new. Right? 
And it's just like you're literally a target to these guys because they would they would mess with the new dudes. Of course. All the time. You know, they would test you. I remember my first my first collar was it was a fist fight, dude. And the guy was like, listen, I'm not going anywhere, rookie. So do what the fuck you got to do. And I was like, <laughs> all right, let's go. And, you know, the rest is history. I don't want to get into right, that. Right, but right. nonetheless, it just hearing him talk just kind of brings things back to me. I mean, I don't have um, that much time on. I got 16 years on. Um, it's a decent amount of time. But now I hear somebody who has. I'm retired going on 30 yeah, years. See, so he has, he has, uh, he's been retired for as long as I've been on this earth. Okay. So <laughs> it sounds crazy when I say insane. these numbers. Yeah. You know? It kind of puts things into perspective for people, you know? Um, all right. So I'm, I'm sorry. I interrupted. Almost, I almost every guy on the job today, almost wasn't born when I retired. What year did you retire? Uh, well, officially it was January 84, but I got hurt in August of 83. I was hospitalized for quite a while. Okay. And then, I never went back to work. They carried me. Uh, the job took care of me very well. Okay. You know, and, and the DEA and the union, they, they took care of me very well. But I was carried from August 1st to January 30th wow. of 84. But um, God bless, man. It's dope. It's, it's, you know, it's a young man's job. And yeah. most guys are under 41, you know, because they, they get out at 41. Yeah. So most yeah. of the job, I'd say probably 85% is... You know, only so the bosses then, are older, you know, pretty much. So back then, would you say, like, a lot of the new guys getting hired were, like, super young? Well, it was always, it was a, always a young man's job. Okay. You know, it, you know, you were allowed to be up to 35, and you could add years so if you had military. Yeah, military, yeah. You know, but it, it was always a young man's job. Most guys who come on, I would say, were, you know, like, 21 to 25. Wow, okay. You know, you know. It, yeah, I was a young man. I was, like, 22. It's Still wet behind the ears, me. breath smelling like Similac, dude. <laughs> I was just super young. Um, we all were. You know, you, you learn. There's it, nothing. You go through the academy, and they teach you some good stuff. Yeah. You know, obviously, you got to learn the laws and the procedures, and the, the physical training was great. Yeah, you, you mentioned that you guys went full contact full boxing. Con if, and you know what happens if you didn't go full contact? If they see you didn't, yeah. the instructor would step in, and you say, you're fighting me. And, it, and he'd fuck you up. <laughs> Time to get down. Love you it. You know, you got it. Because... It was better that way because you, what? There's not going to be fake fighting on the street. Yeah, no, you're gonna you know, you got to be face, prepared. Yeah. It's just like the military, you know. Yeah, you know. You, Mike you Tyson get, says it best, man. Everybody's got to plan to get punched in the, in the face. face. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I hear that. Very good line. I hear that. But um, you know, you can fire at paper tar targets and be an expert all day, but when you got to face bullets coming back at you, it's a different story. I want to get into that. So uh, I'm watching. I'm watching the special, right? And uh, one of the shootings. Uh, you stated that you were trained to, um, so you guys carried six-shot revolvers back then. That right? was the on-duty. That was the on-duty. Most guys carried a Smith The on-duty was a Model 10, Smith yes. & Wesson, six-shot. Okay. But most guys carried a Smith & Wesson, five-shot, as a backup or off-duty. But I didn't. You didn't. I always went with a Colt. Okay. Because a Colt carried six shots. Why should I have five? When I have the same frame, everything's the same, same size. Gotcha. Go with a six-shot. So I, it, it's interesting that he says that. So he goes, uh, one of the shootings. Uh, I think I know you're going with. Yeah, he stated that uh, you were trained to shoot five in an assess before you let go of the last round. Well, you're always trained to count your shots. Count the bullets. Count, count you the know, bullets. Which okay. is hard to do when you're in a, a Absolutely, gun Absolutely, because you kind of. That's but, crazy. But we started carrying, I think it was around my time in the late 60s, the guys, it was very, not too common, but we started carrying backup guns. Yeah. You know, and the ankle holes. I'll tell you something funny about backup guns. I, when I became a detective in 75, we did a lot of interviews in Rikers Island or prisons. You know, you go to an interview 
uh, just like a suspect. Yeah. You know, even though he's in jail, you're going to lock him up later for another crime when he goes to court. 10-4. You find out his court dates, you wait there. Mm-hmm. If he gets uh, ROR or released or whatever, or bail, or, you know, you place him under arrest and take him through the system again if he's wanted for another crime and you already got the evidence and the proof. Yeah. But I used to go into prison and they were very strict, the prisons, and they used to make you check your gun. They had yeah. locked my... But I always said, you know, I ain't going into prison unarmed. So I used to so wear an the, ankle holster. The they put me on the put me on the bus. I go into prison with a gun. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was crazy every, times. Every time, right? Yeah, all the time. They, we used to get away. They, they knew that they'd kill us, you know. But <sighs> we went in there, you know. So your backup was a cult. It was always a cult. And okay. then when a lot of times I carried uh, uh, two cults, you know, if I if I went to an anti-crime, I didn't want to wear the big gun in my waist. The big gun was more of a you know, a sidearm yeah. that you carry in a holster on duty. So we could carry we carry two Colts. God damn. And a two couple cults. of shootings I needed both guns. Absolutely. Rock and rolling, Ralph, rock and rolling. All right. Ralph. So yeah, all right. So all right. So you get out of the academy, you go to I go to the four four. You go to the four four. I mean okay. no, I go to the four one. You go to the four one. Right. Fort Apache. Fort Apache. And I you know, you had no polo no one knew where you're going. When you got your last Did you guys day, have dream sheets back then? Did they ask yeah, you where you wanted yeah. to go? I think it's complete bullshit because yeah. I asked to go to Patrol Borough Bronx was my last choice, and that's <laughs> what the hell they opposite. sent me. It always works that I way. I wanted to go to transit, but they were like, nah, kid, you're going to the... The dream sheet, I got this is actually a funny Academy story. We're all put it in, and a kid, you know, we're all getting, you know, Vos, 4-2, and everyone's like laughing, you know, and this kid got called the 5-0. We're like, yeah, who do you know? He's like, I don't know anybody. Like, come on, who do you know? He's, he's still like, looking to draw he's unless you got on, on my paper, I wrote um, to avoid potholes and to save tolls. <laughs> and we're like, we couldn't believe it. We started cracking up just like that. <laughs> so he just started calling him Pothole by his first yeah. name. And he got it. That's what he said. But that was like, come on, avoid potholes. And everyone would have wrote that. Crazy. It's ridiculous, man. Yeah. I think I put down all Bronx precincts because okay. I was such a Bronx guy, you know. I hear you. Right. I don't. Even, I'll be honest. I don't remember if I put down the four one or not. But when I got the four one, when you went to check the the, the big board, the big bulletin board with the sheets on it, yeah. and I saw I went to the four one, I was happy because it had a reputation, you know. And you figure if you're gonna break in, you want to break in, you know, the real deal. Learn like fast. if you work uh, in the four one. It's like equivalent to doing like eight years in another precinct. Absolutely. I mean, that's the an A house. Was, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're oh, running it was and a gunning. Super A. Did they have the rule where you couldn't live in your precinct and patrol there? Did that I think rule so, exist yeah. there? Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, you couldn't work in your own precinct. And where'd you, 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 uh, where'd you grow up in the Bronx? Kingsbridge in the Concourse. Kingsbridge little, in the A couple Con- of blocks north of Fordham Road. Okay. Right opposite Pope Park. If you ever heard of Ed Allan Poe? Yeah. At yeah. the house in the park there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, live yeah. right across the street. That's Bang. the confines of the what? The 5 2. Okay, yeah. I grew up in the 5 0. I was uh, on two five one in Broadway. Those were actually the two good precincts in the Bronx. Yeah, absolutely. The five zero and the five two. Yeah, five zero and the five two. Good precincts. What about the four five then? Oh, yeah, that was good that was too. Pretty decent back then, right? Yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was more, uh, more homes, private homes. Okay. Four five was more where buildings were in the five zero and five two. You know, like the real middle class. So how was if you had a little more money? You lived in the four five because you could buy buy a home. How was Orchard Beach then? Uh, as far as what. It's just, just in, I guess, in far as crime and the, and the area and everything like that. Like, well, they always had an Orchard Beach or? detail, right? And uh, it was a busy place, and everybody went there. It was called like the uh, Bronx Riviera. Yeah, that's what they used to call it back. That's what my dad used to say. And <laughs> you know what? Everybody <laughs> had their stuff. sections. You know, uh, I think we always hung in section eight. Okay. I don't know, but each like different groups or ethnicities had different sections. 
And it was just like you just went to that area. I don't know why. It just happened that way. And you always met your friends there. Awesome. But it was a, a really big hopping place in the uh, summers. Orchard Beach. Orchard Got a lot Beach. of memories there, kid. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so that's where I learned how to swim. Oh, look, look at that. Nonetheless. Um, so you get <laughs> you you get to the four one. What was your first assignment? Uh just a foot post. Yeah, everyone goes on foot and they pick you up all the time. You radio cars to do one of two things. You either go into the hospital to sit with a psycho, or you go into <laughs> some apartment and sit with a DOA until yeah, the ME comes there, and did releases that. it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those are the two things, you know, you get a foot post, you have no idea what you're doing, you know. And uh you know, you feel good, though, because they train you and psych you up. Yeah. You know, you're the, you're the police, you know. But you feel a little like, you know, what do I do? You know, but you got your wits and you got your gun, your shield, your, you know, your gun. Your you guys had speed loaders, too, back then? No. no, 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 you, no. Didn't, you guys didn't have the speed loaders. We didn't have beepers, cell phones, radios. Uh, so if something happens on the street, you have a call was, box? So you had to go to a call day, box? Or? Yeah. Wow. And you just hit a button, you don't talk into it, or you just it, press it a button? It was a hard wire, like, in the cars were hard wire. It was like a, a black headset with a black wire that went into the dash, and it was a box, and you pick it up. Man, this is and you connect. This is old school right you. here. I love it. And uh, in the squad rooms, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but they had the thing called squaw a squawk box. So what's a squawk box? It, it was like a box like this. It's in the radio car, but it's on the wall. Oh, and the detectives shit. sitting in the thing would hear everything that goes on in the street. Okay. You know, and I, they would used to they would respond if they hear a homicide on the air or yeah. shooting. Or if you made a good collar, they'd come out. Oh, okay, know. cool. That's kind of dope. Uh, uh, it was cool in most circumstances. Yeah, sometimes you get a couple of guys that would come out try to take your collar. Yeah, because I'm about to say squad guys just do that to us all, yeah. uh, all the time. And I had a couple of fist fights with detectives. Hey, old and you know what's funny when you said about the wish list, you know, uh, you know, dream list. Yeah. When I when I went down for the interview for detective, they said, "How would you feel if we left you in anti crime with a gold shield?" I said, oh, man, that's just what I want. I want to live yeah. in anti-crime forever. Yeah, because I know yeah. you're not a fan of wearing suits or nothing no, like that. No, never right? did. So what happened was, of course, they put you in the squad, you know. And then I, I went to the, um, actually went to the 3-4 squad for two days. Really? And I didn't want to be there, but I spent two days there. And then I went into CIC school, criminal investigation course. Okay. And Job told me that the numbers were are, are in place. You know, they're not going to change. They're set. Yeah. They're frozen. There had to be a certain amount of detectives in different boroughs and squads. And they said, the only way I could get to the Bronx is if I made a, made a mutual. Gotcha. So on my own, I went to every precinct all the time, put up signs. And anyone <laughs> made, And I wound up finding a guy with the 5-2. So they made, I knew some guys on the job, okay. and they made it happen right away. So oh, when I got awesome. out of CIC school, I went to the 5-2. That's aces. Wow. You know? And I lived in the five two, but I moved out of the five two at the time. I oh. moved out on my own when I, uh, right when I went in the academy. Gotcha. You know, and um, it was funny going to the five two because I knew the area, but I just wanted the Bronx. Yeah. Because I had the system down with the court. In the three four was a great house. Yeah, but it's a completely different system. Yeah, right, and I would have to drive to a, like a, longer than the Bronx just to get to the courtroom. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you couldn't park in the traffic. Yeah. And I didn't know the streets and I didn't know the court system. I knew every DA. I knew the system, and uh, I knew how to play the system. Okay. You know, so I could make two, three collars a day. Ooh. You know, you couldn't always. Uh, we had a system going, and it worked for us. All right. So, I, I want to kind of talk about this one particular incident where they kind of changed the, the rules with. Um, bringing perps into the building and having your firearm with you. 
Oh. Gonna, you want to you talk about that? Well, I was a rookie in the 4-1 at okay. the time. And uh, that night, I got assigned to Station House Security. Yes, sir. Because it was the uh, Black Liberation Army was operating then. Okay. Where they were ambushing cops in the street with fake calls. But there was also chances that they would go to a precinct. And just run Because the they did that in other states. Okay. Uh, I think they did it a couple of times in California. And mm-hmm. there was places across the United States where police were attacked. At the precinct level. In the streets, they attacked cops. And was always attacked what they called assault and pepper team. It was a black and white. Oh. They did that, you know, to make their statement. Okay. And, and the BLA was an offshoot, offshoot of the Panthers. Of the Panthers, yes. But it was a more violent. Mm-hmm. They were very violent. They were even too violent for the Panthers. They, they, they wanted to go further because they were outright attacked. Wow. So anyway, I was doing station house security. Okay. And that's where we would interview, sort of ask what you wanted to come into, sort of like a pre-screening. Because you, you always had a lieutenant on the desk, and anyone who went to the station house had to go to the desk. But this was a pre-screening. Gotcha. So anyway, I'm working there at night. It was midnight. And, uh, you know, chomping at the bit because I always wanted to be in the street. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it was like 4 o'clock in the morning, and I hear gunshots. Wow. In the station house. I, you know, like, holy shit, I say. So I race upstairs. I was the first uniformed guy there. And um, this guy, Joseph Picciano, was fingerprinting uh, a, a perp that they brought in. He was under arrest. And mm-hmm. the detectives used to fingerprint. You always did your own fingerprinting yeah. in the station house. You know, there was no central booking like that. And mm-hmm. when he did all that and electronic stuff. Yeah, pre-live scan people. So he was fingerprinting this, this uh, perpetrator who was under arrest uh, for... Um, uh, child abuse and abusing, you know, sexual thing with a child. Okay. So he was a real predator. But and as he's fingerprinting him, the guy grabbed his gun and shot him right in the stomach, killing him. Wow. Shot him right there. And he tried to go out of the office before, right seconds before I got there. Yeah. And um, he leaps over the, the squad desk. And while he's in the midair, like there were three or four detectives there at the desk. Uh-huh. They all sh- opened up on him and shot him in midair and killed him right there. I got in the, I get up there with a bunch of guys right behind me. Mm-hmm. We all raced right up there. And uh, the smoke was just clear. It was all full of smoke from all the gunshots. Yeah. You know, the perp was firing. The three detectives were firing and they killed him. Oh, right so there was there. an exchange of fire up there too? Yeah. Wow. Well, he was trying to get out. The, finger, the, the fingerprint... Uh, um, table was at the far end of the precinct gotcha. the far end of the office so he had to go run the length of the office to get to the door Sheesh. never would have made it out, yeah, of the station house, made out of the station but house. he didn't even make it out of the office the detectives responded so quickly and shot him right there damn that was the second what floor was the printing room on there? second floor second floor the second floor was like um was only there were only two rooms there at the time it was the anti-crime to the right and the detectives to yeah, the squ- left yeah using squad and, and then on top that. of that there was a locker room, and there was 200 TPF we had there. And we had 425 cops assi- signed 425? to the prison. 425? 425 cops were in that building and 200 TPF. Jeez. And then outside units were always converging on the 4-1 because that's where all the activity is. We had borough burglary, narcotics, yeah. bar- you know, street crime, anti-crimes. Everybody would come to the 4-1 to poach because all the action Because all the there. action was there. You know, when I first got there, getting back to when I first assigned to the 401, when I got there in 70, early 70, uh, first of all, you didn't get a locker. You know, guys had I didn't get a locker lock. either, so <clears throat> You had to come to work in uniform or change in your car out wow. front. You know, so you, you know, you never got a locker until someone got transferred and they emptied out two or three lockers or they died or retired. 
Jesus. You know, you just didn't get a locker. You had to work months and months out of a locker, uh, without a locker, right? So I get there, and uh, it, it was just, you get there on a Friday or Saturday night, and you get a radio car when you finally got into a radio car. Yeah. The jobs were backed up, like 20 or 30 jobs. You, on a 4 to 12, you'd get the car with the light and siren on, and you'd go right to midnight, light oh, and siren on. That's how nuts it was. And when they're backed up, it was backed up with the heavy jobs, all 1030s, yeah. you know, all stuff in progress. I mean, this is when New York City was uh, yeah, New York the City. One, the Bronx was burning. That's what well, that's say, when right? that was more, yeah, that was the mid-70s. That okay. was towards the end of my uh, stint at the 4-1, because I got promoted in April of 75. Okay. So was that when like the turnaround that's when was when they had to the layoffs? Okay. That was yeah. the first time in history that New York City that had New York layoffs had, of civil service of civil, workers. Okay. And cops, that was the main thing, that your job was always secure. Could you picture going to work mm. and at the end of the night, they tell you at the end of your shift, you go in, you gotta turn in your ID card, shield and gun. That happened to us in White Plains. We had we lost, but yeah. this was the first time, yeah, nineteen seventy five. Yeah, yeah. I mean I couldn't imagine that. I mean the main reason why people take these jobs for the job for security. security and the pension, yeah, right? Exactly. And benefits. I mean, and benefits, yeah. I mean that's the main reason why people take people were passing up corporate jobs to take these jobs because of the job security. Right. Or leaving them. Or leaving them yeah. for the security. And then could you like you said, could you imagine coming in and saying, Hey, uh yeah, here's your pink slip, you're done. Uh, you know, shield, ID, gun, leave it here. Yeah. It happened to my brother, too, and uh, he got laid off in 75. Really? He was a transit cop. Okay. But transit took care of their guys much better than City did. Really? Transit rehired them a couple of months later uh -huh. as token booth collectors. Oh, So okay. they, 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 they got the time, the benefits. Oh, okay, stuff cool. Stuff like well, that. they took care of them. They took care of them. They, they, did a lot of, uh, they did a lot of token booth stuff. But uh, another story to tell you, when I first got on, uh, it was... It, the violence was crazy. Yeah, I you know, wanted to yeah, talk about the violence. In you New know, York like I, I lived in the Bronx, and I didn't know how crazy it was a couple of miles from my house. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I say that um, all the time too because so I grew, you know, I grew up in the Bronx too. Five. Well, you grew up in the five O. Yeah, a really so five O was nice. You know, you know, you guys, it's like North Riverdale. So now you go, you go down the Conk, and the whole you keep going down it's changes. Like, yeah, you think I, you're going to another country? Yeah, I remember right, um, like the roller coaster. Tick 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 yeah. tick, and then I'll, drops down. I'll never, I'll never forget this. I was probably like six or seven years old. So this is like late '80s, right? This is like late '80s. Uh, we're on the concourse by uh, Lowe's Paradise Theater. On I the know con, the theater. It's right. Nice theater. That was a nice theater. One yeah. Time. So we're across the street. I'm I'm across the street with my parents. Um. So my dad goes up into some office building there. So I'm in the car with my mom, and I see these. Three dudes look like they went and bought something. Look like it was cocaine or something. I'm a kid though. I don't know. I don't know. And they just they're sniffing right in front of the window of my of, of my you know my dad's car. And I'm like, the hell is this? I'm just a child. I don't I don't know any I don't know any better. And then I remember like a week later there was a shootout on 183 in Valentine, and three guys were fucking just laid out on the street. And this is like late 80s, so I can only imagine 70s. You know, late, you know, mid to late 70s, because my dad told me that New York City was a savage place. The Bronx was a savage place in the 70s. It had a reputation yeah. worldwide. Yeah. But to tell you another thing, <clears throat> I was going to tell you when I came on, right when I came on as a rookie, this is a good story, because it might have been the only time the New York City police had a strike. Really? They striked. It was only patrol supervisors. Flu? Yeah. That's where the thing came from. It was 1970. And the PBA came to us as rookies and told us, listen, you guys are on probation. You have to work. Yeah. You know, so 
I, I worked with a boss, right? So I didn't want to work because I wanted to be with the guys. But the guys understood yeah, yeah, that yeah. we were rookies. We'd lose our job. Absolutely. These guys were only, if anything, we're going to get the Taylor Law where they'd get fined two days' pay. They wouldn't get paid. And the probationary period back then was two years too? No, I think it was, uh, I think it was like six or nine months. Oh, wow. wow. It was yeah, not two years. Mine was two. Years two. No, yeah. two years I was already in anti-crime. That's oh my, what? Because I had oh. an arrest record. So let me tell you what happened during the strike. The minute I get out there, you're gonna love this story. <laughs> I didn't want to be on the street, so I say I gotta make a collar, right? So as soon as I go out with the sergeant, right, we get a call of a stolen truck, right? So the guy took this truck, right, and okay. crashes the truck at the bottom of a hill. So he's right there. Guess what? He had no legs. He, he no climbed legs. into the truck, the guy left running, and he climbed into the truck off a wheelchair and took the truck and then just crashed it down the block. So oh I collared him God. and I was off the I street. Hope you took it e- I hope he took it easy on him, Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. I'll break his arms. Nah. Wow. Oh he wanted God. to sue me, but he didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's oh, a true story. I, that's how I got off the street, so I that's could be with my brother officers and feel like I was doing something. Awesome. Even though I was a rookie, I had to get a legit reason to get off the street. Yeah, well, that's so a legit the, reason. I told the, the sergeant, "Take the collar." Damn, that's crazy, <laughs> bro. Um, I want to talk about the Fox Street shooting. You want to like walk us through that? Which one? I had two on Fox. Two. On, uh, the first one on Fox. <laughs> uh, the first one was uh, it was in November, like around seventy-two, and uh, nineteen seventy-two. I was assigned to court that day. And I got back from court early. Mm-hmm. And another uh, member of the 4-1 anti-crime came back from court early. He wasn't my partner, but we were in the same unit. Yeah. And uh, his name was Cal Unger. And because uh, it was a 20-man unit. And guys are going to court left and right. Crime so, was 20 guys? Anti-crime was 20 guys Jeez. in 4-1. Wow. You worked different tours or the same tour? Different tours. Okay. All right. Okay, and I know sense. it was 20 because we went out. We did it on our own to not get off your story, but we bought... 20 shotguns, and we bought 20 vests on our own. Wow. We bought it right around Is it the true corner. you guys used to take your personal vehicles if there wasn't any cars on Oh, I took my personal. My, I was authorized my whole career, uh, except when I was in uniform. I, I did about, as soon as I got into anti-crime, my cars were all authorized. I didn't, wow. pay, I didn't pay for this gas is a for different 14 time, years. bro. This is a different I even time. Had, I even had my Harley motorcycle approved, <laughs> and I did some jobs with it. I went up, uh, did some you know, Yo, this is when after some drug dealers on a Harley. I love it. And the job knew about that I was using my Harley a few times. Yeah. That one time I was being traded to New Jersey. The Bronx DA's office yeah. wanted to use me for an undercover job in New Jersey. And they didn't want to use anyone connected to Jersey. Okay. No state troopers or cops. They figured they'd get it. They used to trade out of state. Yeah. And you got to authorize. I don't know how with the liabilities and stuff. But they were using me to go into a, a motorcycle gang and... Jersey. It was called off the last minute, but my bike got authorized wow, for the job. Wow, bro. This is cr- I, this is like mind-blowing, I hope dude. you didn't transport anyone on the motorcycle. And <laughs> you back there, hang out. I had my partner, Tim Kennedy, on the back. We used to do a couple of sneak up on some drug. I'll tell you that story after. But, Shit. But getting right, back to the Fox back Street. Back to Fox Street. Ralph, okay. can you let the listeners know how close Fox Street is to the 4-1? Uh, it's right there, right the four one precinct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fox it's, runs like north to south. Right, so and it ran, for you know, people yeah. listening, it's literally like three blocks, three, three blocks away. Yeah, but it saying, runs right? the whole length. Right. It could be far away. You know, I killed guys on both ends of Fox Street. Right, maybe I'm thinking of the one closer. <laughs> maybe the story I'm thinking of is the one closer to the precinct. That's the second story or this one. That's the first one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was nine nine two Fox yep. Street. Yeah, that was the that was the first shooting nine nine two, and that was a very bad building, right? 
Uh, yeah, they, oh, every building was bad. You know, these were, we didn't have tenements, you know, housing projects. They were just, no, no, they were all like five-story walk-ups. Because I think the law was then, if you went to the sixth or seventh story, you had to have an elevator. We had no elevator. Jeez. You know, didn't, you know, we didn't. And another thing, when you mentioned wow. about the coke thing that you saw some kids snorting up out of yeah. paradise, I never saw any drug until 1975. The only drug we, only dealt one drug, well, actually two, but one was provided by the city. The only drug we ever saw was heroin. And then, yeah. the, and then the city started giving out methadone, which was the same fucking thing. Same shit, yeah. yeah. It was the same shit. It was liquid heroin. That, that's My dad said it looked like they were zombies. That, yeah, just zombies oh, yeah. walking around. But yeah. it was all, I never saw marijuana. I never saw weed. I never saw hash. Never saw coke. That was Till 75. Till 75. I never saw nothing. And one of the first things I ran into was liquid coke. Wow. I was, uh, we were eating in a diner, and I went into the bathroom, and there was a guy there with with a vial of liquid. And uh, I didn't know what it was, but I knew he had something illegal at the time. And he was a male nurse in uh, Montefiore. And then he w- came out, he was with two girls, and they were nurses. And they had vials, and we wind up, it was liquid coke. Well, they, were they used to too. use that. They were stealing it from the hospital because when they do surgery, right, they used to clean the scalpels and instruments with coke. Wow. With liquid coke. I never knew wow. that, dude. This they is- also prescribe coke, crystallized coke, for treatment of eyes. Really? I was friends with a pharmacist, and he used to show me the coke in the pharmacies. Damn. Yeah. I never knew none of this stuff, bro. I didn't. I, you know, you I'm don't learning learn this right stuff now, in dude. the academy, yeah. but you, you come across this stuff. And that was one of the first, other than heroin arrests, that I made when I got up to the 5-2. I made it on, right off of Webster. There was a diner there. Wow. Webster man. and Fordham. This is, you know, this is all like eye-opening things to me, right? I have no so idea. So getting back to the shooting. Yeah, so go ahead. So me and uh, Kalunga, we both get back from court early, around noon, and the boss assigns us together. So we go out in his private car, which was a Beetle, Volkswagen yeah, Beetle. Yeah, I remember remember the little ugly thing? Yeah, yeah. I hated Volkswagen <laughs> So we go out in his car, right? And uh, we're driving around for about an hour and a half and stuff. It was around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and we get... We, as anti-crime, you don't respond to uh, radio calls. You yeah, know, yeah. You're supposed to do everything on your own, pick up jobs and follow, find suspects. But you would back up guys in the 4-1, you back up uniform. So we picked it up as a backup because it was a burglary in progress. And then in, late, as we're going, the call escalated to a girl in the apartment yeah. screaming for help. So uh, now it becomes like a home invasion, or you'd say. or you know, That's a new word. We didn't have that word then. Yeah, more or less. But we go there. And we got there before the uniform car. So we decided to go upstairs because it's a girl, because we figured a civilian's in trouble. So we're not going to wait if someone's calling for help. So we go up there, and obviously it's on the top floor, you know. And we get up there, and we see the door ajar, and the frame was broke. So we knew someone broke in, and we hear her screaming. Mm -hmm. So we go in, right, and it was pitch black. I mean, they had sheets and uh, blankets, everything on the windows, you know. Yeah. You, it was pitch black. We didn't, couldn't see anything. And we hear the screaming. And we know now the layout was that you came in, you're in like a living room area. And then straight ahead in front of you was like a hallway that led straight into a bathroom. And then to the right was a bedroom. Yeah. We didn't know this because it's pitch black, but we, we hear the voice in the back, right? So we head to the back and we're side by side in this hallway. And all of a sudden, a male jumps out of the back bedroom and opens fire, and it was three feet away. And we're in a hallway. Three feet away, about as far as you and me are yeah. now. We start shooting it out, the three of us. What? And it gets closer. 
I see from the corner of my eye, my partner's right to my left, I see him going down, and he's shooting at the guy as he's, he's going, going down. down. But he was hit right away. I open up fire, and I, I did fire five rounds, and I knew I held back one. But the guy, it was like in a flash of a second, but I was new, and I was like trained in this. It was still fresh in my mind. And the guy runs right into me. And we can't even, it was like a club because it was strobe lighting. All you saw was muzzle flash. Yeah, okay. He's firing at our muzzle flash. We're firing at his. And it's in a hallway, and all the bullets are ricocheting around. My partner got hit like seven times. But five were direct hits. Mm. Two were ricochets. They took him out with a tweezer, one from his arm and one from his back. But the others were direct hits. One hit him in the sack that holds fluid under the heart. Yes. So the guy runs into me. And I grab him. He didn't have a shirt on. And I grab him by his trap. And I grab it. And then he presses into me. And he still got his gun in his hand and everything. I fire my last round right into his chest. Actually, it was pressed against his nipple. They never found the nipple. You know, it was right into his heart. And it killed him right there. Jesus. Then we had to rush my partner out. Now, my partner was alive. Thank yeah. God he did survive. But he made medical history. He took 72 pints of blood. In three hours, wow. that's like it's pouring out of you. Wow! You know, and by the grace of God, that man. And is we didn't here. wait for an ambulance. We carried, carried him down. Him, yeah. I'm gonna tell you some of the things that saved his life. First thing that the police were right there mm -hmm. because they were still responding to the burglary. They were only like less than a minute behind us, or two, yeah. maybe one or two minutes behind us. So the cops were on the way before I even picked up his radio. My partner had the radio, and I'm calling 10:13. Officer shot. Officer shot, and. They were there. They were like busting and coming through the door as I'm calling it. Wow. That's how fast the response was Thank God because for that. they were on the way. Yeah. So we carried him down these stairs. We didn't wait for an ambulance because we knew he was hit bad. So we get him into the car, right? Now, you know, we both guys know when the 13 happens and you're putting it over the cop himself. You know how many cars are yeah, there? Yeah, everyone's so coming. The cavalry's coming, yeah. So now the radio car that got him in the car. They're like bumping cars to move him out of the way. Wow. To get him out of the It was frantic. But we're doing this. These cops saved his life on the fast response. But now they're blocked in. So they're tapping cars to bang him out of the way to move the car out. Jesus. Because guys couldn't move him fast enough. Wow. And while they're doing that, they radioed highway. And highway closed every street. Also oh, gave From you guys scene, a straight shot. Right. Because awesome. you know, you're, you're, you're going light and siren. But you still got it in your mind, think of an intersection. Yeah. Now you had like a clear racetrack because highway cleared everything. Everything was blocked <sighs> off. And the radio car from the precinct just went straight to Jacoby Hospital. Wow. Now, another that all saved his life, too. And another component of saving his life was a good friend of mine who I worked out in the gym. May he rest in peace because he died now. His name was Harry Jaffe. Mm -hmm. He was a partner of mine that worked out in the gym. Not a partner on the job. A workout partner. Gotcha. Guy that I went to the gym with all the time. And he was the head guy in Jacoby's blood bank who made the platelets that they needed to save his life. Wow. Now, if he would have went to a neighboring hospital, they'd still need these guys to make the blood plates. Yeah. But it would take time. Since he was in Jacoby, they just put the platelets right upstairs and saved his life, too. Wow. That's, that's crazy. All those doctors and nurses, and those they all got awards from the uh, police commissioner for help for saving... Uh, my partner's life. Wow. Dude. And you know, I was going on uh, the news. I was going to have a news conference. Yes, I know and, you had it. Yeah. And the mayor 
they tell me the mayor wants to see you. And he flew, I don't know if you know the Bronx too well over there, mm-hmm. but he landed his helicopter. He flew in and landed his helicopter on Pelham Parkway <laughs> outside of Jacoby to catch me before there was a news guy. He wanted to make sure I was a right mind, sound mind, yeah. body, you know. You know was it? it was Lindsay. Oh, mayor okay. Lindsay. All right, yeah. And he, was, he seemed very concerned. I'll give him that. And he was very concerned about my partner and he spoke to me and said anything I could do. And, you know, and the funny thing, I was told I was getting the Medal of Honor and I was going to be promoted to the detective. You know, they told me that. The PBA said you're getting the Medal of Honor. Then we wound up getting nothing, nothing? believe it or not. You got nothing wow. for that? Nothing. Well, we got honorable mention. That's the highest medal there is. Okay. And then after, after honorable mention, you get put in for Medal Day yeah. and you get either a Medal of Valor, Combat Cross, or Medal of Honor. But we didn't get any of those because there was yep. a little, there was some, there was some bad publicity because the newspaper gotcha. wrote it up saying that he lived in the apartment. But the bottom line was he lived across the street, street with, his wife, with his wife. And he lived over here with his girlfriend, yeah, side collecting piece. welfare on both sides. And the girl who he was beating up with his girlfriend was threatening to tell his wife. So he was going to really tune this girl up, maybe even beat her to death. So we saved her, and we saved my partner's life and my own life. And you Because know, always people say, you know, you took a life. You know, They always say you got the kills. But the other side of the coin is, we also got the saves. We save lives when we had to take a life. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we might have saved we saved three lives that day. Mine, my partners, and the girl. Yeah, yeah. So that's the side you know that people don't always look at. You know, they say, "Oh, that cop killed somebody." You know, but so I you, obviously I was justified because yeah. otherwise I'd be losing the job and go to jail. Mm-hmm. But you commit an act when you have to use deadly physical force. You're saving lives. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and my other cases were the same thing. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been justified. Yeah, man. But thank God my partner lived. He retired. and um, did, he, did he go out three quarters? Or? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, of course. So yeah. he didn't get that combat cross, even your no, partner? No, neither one of us got any mental damage. And how many times was he shot again? Six or seven? He was shot direct five hits, direct, and two that ricocheted. were ricocheted. We don't know how many ricochets were going around, but we fired 18 rounds between the three of us. In a, in a matter of three feet. Right here. Three feet. In this oh, room, like in this room, basically. Let, but it was, let me tell you about how the footage that I said it was three feet meant a lot. I mean, this is a very good follow-up story to it that you'll find interesting. When the detectives investigate the case, mm-hmm. you always had to be investigated by detectives afterwards. You know, anytime a police officer, you know, but the public should know. You really investigate a lot by a shooting team, precinct detectives, uh, IAD, the DA's office. Yeah. You know, no matter, even though that was known as a Wild West time and there was a lot of shootings. and You know, we weren't cowboys. You were always checked. You yeah. know, the police department is very concerned about that stuff. But the thing was, the detectives were investigating the case, and when they, they do, the, they investigate it through the morgue and all everything. The ME, when they went down there, the detectives told me. The ME said, uh, "He says, detectives, you got a, an execution here." They said, "This cop executed the guy, right?" So the detectives said they compared it to their notes and everything I say. Yeah. And I said we started at three feet apart, and he ran into me, and my gun was pressed against him. See, because the ME found. There was stifling, what they call stifling and stuff, yeah. and powder burns powder on burns the inside on the body. of the body. How yeah. close so it was. Says, That's how close I, you were. I was pressed against yeah. it, but yeah. I testified. If I said I was five feet away and I shot him before he got to me, yeah. I would have been arrested. Yeah. Because my story wouldn't conf- have yeah, jived with, yeah. with the uh, facts. 1,000%. So the ME thought it was an execution, but the detective said no. All his statements that he gave to everybody involved, said that it started three feet away and he ran into him and I pressed my gun. But these things all matter. 
This is how technical and how much you're investigated and how you got to tell the right thing and articulate what you did the correct way. Yeah. You know, sometimes you could be right and say the wrong thing and get jammed right. up. Get jammed up, absolutely. You know, but, but the evidence, you know, that's how close they monitored it and investigated. And this, the detective said, well, no, his statements match what you say. Yeah. So it wasn't an execution. It was how it played out and what happened. Out, yeah. But that was a follow-up to it, you know. Mm -hmm. But it just shows yeah, you bro. that, uh, you know, everything's investigated properly. Now, how many total shootings were you involved in? Fifteen. Fifteen. But two of them weren't with people. Oh, yeah, two, two dogs, right? Two dogs I had to shoot. Two dogs. And, you know, I'm a dog, I was a dog, I'm a dog person now, yeah. and I was a dog person then. Right. And uh, one I had to kill. Uh, the other one I shot, but I, I tell you fast stories on it. The first one we made some collars. It was drug collars. It actually was weed, right? Made some weed collars, and the guys wanted to give up some people, so they gave up some people, and they said they got coke and have pills and this and that. They said they have everything, and they gave us a location. So the boss says, "Okay, you know we've been I've been making a lot of narcotics arrests too. Me and my partner were big on that. Yeah. We, made, we were big on everything." So we were taking everything, and we started making the uh, narcotics, Bronx narcotics look a little bad. So <laughs> the boss says, listen, now you got a location, a specific location that you're already in the precinct to know about. He says, we're going to have to notify Bronx narcotics. You'll be the lead, but they got to go. Yeah. You know, so we get together with narcotics. We all go up there. We hit the door. No warrants, you know. They, Okay. It was old a different school, time. Old school glory. Go you ahead, know, I'll take it. The warrants were the bottom of your shoe. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so we hit the door, and we get in there. We lock up a few people right away, and there was guys in the back. It was a back room. We hit the back room, and right to the left, of my, to my left, was a narcotics guy with a shotgun, and there was a bathroom there. Yeah. And the guy, we hit the door, and right away, the guy's like behind the bed, and he has a German shepherd there growling and snarling and everything, and he says, get him. And the oh. dog leaps up, and the guy with the shotgun doesn't fire. I, like, nudge him away, push him into the bathroom, and I open fire and shoot the dog and kill him. God. Right? So Ooh, let me tell you the follow-up story on that. I go home, right, after we do all the paperwork, make the college. <clears throat> next tour I'm in, the next day or so, I come in, and all the guys are quiet in the office, right? They're all sitting there. And they said, uh, hey, Ralph, did you see the 49 on this? I said, no. Because, you know, the boss says, you know, so they leave the 49 there. So I'm reading the 49. It says, uh, there's a complaint and stuff filed that uh, the dog was a guiding eyes dog. Oh, and, shit. And they're, they're breaking my balls, you know. And they say, Rob, you killed a guiding eyes dog. I said, what are you talking about? He says, yeah, they're making a complaint. And there was a whole 49. Oh. And they broke my name. It was a joke. Yeah, I'm about to they say, got to be a joke, though, it, because... But the boss's signature was on it, because no. I know his signature, because he's doing 49s <laughs> on me every day. You had to hang out in your locker. Yeah. Yeah. Get rid of they, they were fucking around with me, you know? That's and, a good stick right it, there, bro. I'll tell you that. I'd have been it, shitting bricks. You know? I felt bad, you know? Yeah, especially if you see, like, the... You and know. I felt bad about shooting the dog to begin with, because yeah, I'm a dog right. guy, you know? I had a shepherd myself at the time. I mean, at that point, though, you got to do what you got to do. Of course. Right? But, I mean, but, you know, they really played it up, you know? Yeah, dude. So in the other shooting with a dog was we're on the north end of the precinct. We're right by Mashula Parkway. Okay, yeah. Right? And um, I think we're on Bainbridge. Right where Mishula it hits. Mashula Bainbridge, very familiar. And Mashula Parkway. And we get a ra we hear a radio run of a burglary in the south end of the precinct. And we're heading north. Yeah. Right to, in the north end, right by the precinct. Yeah. Actually. But this was the kind of luck that I had on the job, right? So this was way, really down, almost by the 4-6. That's how far south yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Right? And they give a plate number of the perpetrator leaving the scene. 
And would you believe right in front of us is the car? <laughs> right in front, the only car in front of us. And there's the plate. Sitting right there. Right. So we get out of the car. We hit the siren. We're on the unmark. Me and my partner, Roger Cortez, was there. Right? He was my first detective partner. Uh, so we get out of the car. And I had my gun out. Right? Okay. And my partner goes to the passenger side because I was driving. So mm -hmm. I go to, and the door swings open of the car. You see two guys in the car, right? Yeah. Right? You see the two guys in the car. So my partner takes the passenger side. I take the driver's side. But I got my gun out. I guess my partner didn't see me take my gun out. But we, that was common. But yeah. he didn't really see me take it out because I'll tell you what happened after. So the guy, the door swings open in the car, right? And I thought it was two guys in the car, but it was really one guy with a Doberman sitting in the thing. It looked like a person. <laughs> oh, shit. oh, you thought it was another person in the car? Yeah, a big Doberman sitting there, you know, right? So he says, get him. Oh, with here we that, go again. Here we go with the get him. Says, get him. The dog leaps over the driver, hits the ground, one hit on the ground and pivots up at me. Yeah, they're very, they're very my, agile dogs. Yeah. Oh yeah, the beautiful yeah. dog. I had my gun out. I shoot the dog in the leg. I happened to hit him in the leg. In the leg. He goes down and starts crying. And Skimp is behind a tree. Right. My partner, we call it a guy and everything. And now radio cars are responding because the yeah. shots fly and stuff. Right. And we and we put over. We stop in the car. Right before we you know we we stop the car, but but we put it over. So guys were responding. And my partner goes, man, Ralph's the quickest drawer in the world. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like, why are oh, so I working with? So he didn't know you had it out. He just he thought, know, yeah, he just it, thought you kind of came from the hip and came up with exactly. it. Exactly. Gotcha. That's why it was a funny story. And he's going, holy, what a fast drawer. Uh, I never see anything like that. But anyway, we call it a guy. My partner takes the perp in. Uniform takes the car in. And I go over to the dog. And I, I wasn't scared, you know. And I get the dog. And I lift him up. And I put him in. I get him into the. Uh, an unmark. Yeah. Right? And I drive him. I just take the dog in the car. I say, Central, I'm going to Manhattan. Right? And it's late at night. But I knew there was a hospital that's always open on a 60th Street and East River Drive, a very yeah. world-famous animal hospital. I take the dog down there, and I tell him I'm a detective. Uh, I shot this dog. I need you to take care of him. They said they'd take care of him. I checked on him the next day. They said he was good. Yeah. And I, wow. I left them there. I don't know what they did with him after. I couldn't take him home because I had a yeah, shepherd already. Yeah. And I just wanted to make sure the dog was cared for. But they did They sur did surgery on him and took care of him. Oh, shit. But I cared about the dog. Then That's great that he didn't, you know, try yeah, to attack they, you they again. Or be, no. So he was, if you didn't. He was if, responding to his own. If you weren't drawn, he would have. He might have got me. Got, probably got oh, me. for sure. Yeah. yeah. They were, they're out. fast and they're, they're, they're strong dogs. Yeah. Damn, bro. But my other shootings were with people <laughs> who shot back at me. <laughs> the dogs use their teeth. Uh, yeah, obviously. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, damn, dude. I didn't know about that one with the, the quick draw over there. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a follow-up store. I have a few collars where the follow-ups were crazy. And, but that was back-to-back -back days? No, no, the, no. They were, no, oh, okay, no, no, they were all separate days. So, that, so we were making collars. We made collars pretty much every single day. How many collars do you have? Over 2,000. Over 2,000. Actually, what's your tax number? 864. God <laughs> Yeah. 864. Listen, you I'm know a 938802. You know, to this day, I still remember my partner's number. His number was 835795. Jesus. 835. He was an old timer when I got there. And you know what's funny? The boss, the boss knew about me when I came up there. Yeah. And he told the other guys, listen, this guy got a reputation. He ain't coming in here and running this place. You know, he ain't doing shit. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. So he put me with this old timer, right? And this old timer, 
it was a really great cop, this guy, uh, Roger Cortez. Mm-hmm. And he's been around. He got a crew chef. He, he did all these kind of things. Okay. Right? Uh, and it, it, he was, you know, like I said, his tax was 835, right? He mm. had time. Absolutely. Right? I mean, I, 864, I was a newbie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? So he, uh, he puts him with him. He puts him with me. And he says, listen, I want, he tells my partner on the side. He tells him, look, I'm partnering up with this guy. This guy ain't taking over. He ain't doing nothing up here. You keep an eye on him and you report to me. Yeah. So the first case he gives me, he gives me uh, this case, uh, two 80-year-old women get into a fight, neighbors in a building. Yeah. And one 80-year-old woman hits the other 80-year-old with a hairbrush. <laughs> so they make it, uh, you know, like it's a felony assault because she <laughs> oh used a weapon, assault. you know, because the woman had like a black eye. Oh, shit. So, you know, you know, here I am making street collars and shootings. And they're telling me, you're going to lock up two 80-year-olds or one of the 80-year-olds. He says, let's give this case to him, you know, because they normally probably would have closed it out. Yeah. But they said, let's keep it active. We'll sign it to Friedman, and let's see how he handles it. So I'm thinking now, what am I going to go? I go up there with my partner. My partner's laying back. You know, he's mm-hmm. letting me handle because he's signing the case to me. Yeah. Right? So I go up there and I'm saying, I'm thinking the whole time I'm going, I'm saying, I'm not bringing no 85-year-old woman in with cuffs. I'm not doing that. Yeah, I'm saying to that. myself. Yeah. But I tell the boss, says, you got to handle this. And I want, and the big thing in the squad, which I'm going to get into later, the big thing with detectives and squad bosses and stuff is closing out a case. You got to have, uh, you know, the clearance. Yeah. It's clearance. You got to clear a case. You got to have some kind of results. Right? So I go up there and my, I figured it out on the way. I said, I know what I'm going to do. So I get there, and what I do is I call for an ambulance, and I oh. psycho the woman. Oh, So wow. now I don't have to touch her. Yeah. Right? Yeah. right? So he goes back and he tells, he called an ambulance, and the EMS took her to the hospital to evaluate her. So now I got closure, and the boss thinks I outfoxed him. Yeah. You know, now he's, now he's a That's little, actually pretty witty, though. You know, so I, I didn't have to lay my hands on it. I didn't have to tell you're under arrest. I don't have to use Yeah, I mean, cuffs. it's an 80-year-old woman. You ain't going to, Yeah, know. so that's how I disposed of the case. So now he thinks, I'm like, he likes that I solved it, but he also thinks, you know, I might be a little of a wise guy. Yeah, a little bit of a smart ass. So yeah. now the next case he gives me, right, you're going to love this, gives me a homicide of a squirrel. Are you serious? Yeah. Homicide of a squirrel. Well, the case comes upstairs, and these construction guys were working. They were building annexes to Fordham University. Okay. And they hear a shot fired. The shot's fired, and they find a dead squirrel there. The guy shot the squirrel. Was the squirrels throwing nuts at each other? Oh, (laughs) not shot. Wait till you 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 handle this case. So we go out there. We interview the construction guys, and the boss again tells them, listen, it's Friedman's case. Let him take care of it. Right? So the guys say, you know, we hear shots all the time, and uh, we don't know where it came from, who did it, no one knows nothing, but we got a dead squirrel here. Yeah. So I take some cardboard, I scoop up the squirrel, and I put him in the trunk. (laughs) And now now I'm feeling, you know, I'm I'm a little pissed myself. Yeah. And he's testing me again, and I got to use my head to figure it out. So I said, okay, I'm going to fuck with this guy a little, my boss, right? So I take the squirrel. Put it in his locker. No, I drive it down to the ME. <laughs> oh shit! I said, "Listen, I need a, I need a, an autopsy." On so they the throw me out, of course. <laughs> yeah. But you know, but now I'm getting names. Yeah. I said, "Well, doctor, ME, so right. threw me out of the hospital." You know, I'm getting the names, so I'm going to do a big five. Yeah. DD five, which is for uh, civilians out there. That's a follow up to a complaint report. 
you do your investigation. So now I'm getting names and everything I'm doing. <laughs> I do this whole thing, right? And I didn't hand it in yet, right? So now I take this. Now they throw me out. Now I take the squirrel down. Well, I was at Bellevue. Yeah. Wait a moment. Now I take the squirrel back. <laughs> I'm driving around with the squirrel all the time. <laughs> I take the squirrel and I bring him up to the ASPCA in the Bronx. Okay. I want them to do an autopsy. And the guy tells me, yeah, he was shot. So now I go back to the boss and I do all out. the paperwork and I tell him everything I did. And he's got me in his office and he says, he's looking at me like, are you fucking crazy? So I said, well, this is the reason. I, did, I handled the thing like a homicide. Yeah, you know, absolutely. How you, how you got certain steps you go through, yeah. procedures. So he says, uh, is there any chance, he says to me, did this squirrel uh, commit suicide? So I oh said, well, God. I did question a few people and they said in the neighborhood that the squirrel was, you know, feeling down lately, you know. <laughs> so he says, okay, we'll close it out as a suicide. Thanks. <laughs> and after that, he respected me, and we became very good friends, personal wow. friends. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when I did my TV series, uh, Street Justice, uh, the Bronx, which is on Amazon now, yeah, I had my my boss from that year back in seven. He was my boss in the year, mid seventies. He came on the show, supported me. And this which guy was it? Oh, that was the um, uh, No, um, Sergeant. Um, oh man, I just Stephen Cantor. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that, Stephen. Is Cantor. that the same one that went to Long Island with you? Yeah. Yeah, um, he wound up being a great friend of mine, a great boss. They started out with breaking balls a, real good, a little bit, yeah. But he was a tough cop himself. Yeah. He was a uh, he was TPF before okay. he made sergeant. So you know, TPF was not a fool around group. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody there was uh, you know, gung ho headcracker. Did you see Absolutely. the, did you see the 40, hats and bats? Did you see the forty nine for that one with the squirrel? Yeah, no, that was uh, the, no. But I'm saying, no, I, had I wonder what that, 49, what, what that yeah. 49 would look like. Well, he never sent it further. You know, yeah, he, was yeah, yeah, yeah. he wasn't going to send that to Down, the bar. Yeah. Absolutely, you not. know. But he tested me, and you know, I, I guess I passed. You know, he saw that. Well, that's how he built the camaraderie. I think exactly, you know, he and saw we became that. very good friends. Uh, yeah. And like I say, our friendship still lasts till today. That's a beautiful thing, right there. You know, he retired later on, and he wound up. You know, he was a smart guy too. Besides the street cop and a squad boss, he became a lawyer. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's he was a very smart guy. That's aces. And a good street cop, you know. I'll take that. Yeah. But it was funny yeah. how he tested me. And then after that, I took him to a lot of other big cases that we were on. I what would you him, say was like your biggest, I took him, the biggest accolade of your like career? Because, I mean, you have so much. Well, as far as the department is. Well, as far as the department, I'm talking accolade. Well, I'm talking about as far as the department, they gave me the combat cross for one of my shootings. But... You know, I had a lot of cases, uh, you know, like I, I, me personally, I think was saving my partner's life in that shooting I just described to you was one of the biggest things in my career. Wow. But I've had other big cases, you know. Uh, I've just been lucky enough. And, you know, I really couldn't do all this on my own. I mean, everything I tell you when I say yeah. I did this, I did that, uh, it was always, Good I couldn't do anything if it wasn't for my anti-crime partners. Yeah. Uh, uh, my my uh, detective partners and the uniforms that backed me up and gave me information. I mean, it, it's really uh, the camaraderie. Like in the four one was incredible. Yeah. And then I went to the five two and I hooked up with this guy Roger Cortez, who was my partner. And then I hooked up with a guy Timmy Kennedy, who was well, my longest uh, detective partner and my best detective partner. Wow. In anti crime was a guy named Lester Rudnick. Lester was my Rudnick. He was my direct partner. Me and him, man, we we. Really caught some really bad guys. And because of me and him working together, they came out with a rule in the Bronx that they separated us after a while. Really? And they said that uh, no two bodybuilders 
could work out. Could be oh, bought this together because wow. we were tuning up guys. You know, <laughs> like I was telling you, the NAT commission was really big. Yeah, and they were really if if you someone said you took five hours, you were going downtown like five different trips, but if you broke someone's arm or leg or tuned the guy up, no problem. No problem. Not even if you didn't arrest them. If they wow. came in and tried to make a complaint, they'd get hit over the head with a blotter by the lieutenant on the desk. <laughs> You know, and get this thrown old out. school fury you know, right here, bro. So they didn't mind what we, what people would call brutality today. Yeah, I didn't call it brutality. I called you know street justice or greasing the wheels of justice. Yeah. If you get five muscular guys beat up an eighty five year old woman, I'm telling you now before I catch them, they they resisted arrest. Yeah, absolutely. You know what yeah. I mean? That because Gotta pay the, the tax. The, 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 the court. You know, you, all you hear about today, one of the biggest things you hear is police accountability. Mm-hmm. But they only hold the police responsible. They only hold the police accountable. Do you ever hear them saying, how about DA re- accountability? Because yeah. they let them out. Especially or the parole board responsibility yeah. or accountability or judge. Because mm-hmm. all these guys that commit these really heinous crimes and that are victimizing the citizens, they all got records. They should be in jail. Yeah. But they let them out to do it again. And if you be, everything is set up by how the perpetrator gets treated in the beginning. Mm-hmm. If he walks all over a cop, if you let him walk all over you, He's going to walk. You mean it harder for the next cop. For the next cop. I always say that. And, and if the judges yeah. let them out, you're just empowering them. So, so what? I get locked up. I'll be out in the 24 I mean, hours. It's even worse now if you so think they, about it. Yeah. It is worse now. Yeah. I'm, I'm, cops have it much harder today. We had it hard because we faced hardened criminals and there was violence in the street. Yeah. There's yeah, always violence and it's always a dangerous job. But the, but today they're letting everybody out. There's a, we never heard of a cop killer getting out of jail. And uh, Como's parole board, they're letting them out left and right. Yeah. All of them. That's un- I mean, that's unfortunately true, but it let, is what it is. They're letting serial killers out, big murderers. Everybody's getting out of jail. And the DAs don't prosecute no more. You saw what happened when these rioters, and I call them rioters, they're not protesters. Once you, once you start burning police cars and stores and looting, yeah. that's you're not protesting. Protesting is protected, and there's a right way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, But back when I was a cop, Everyone was on the same side. You know, the DAs, the bosses, the administration, the mayor. They turned you out at roll call and said, get the bad guys off the street. Make arrests. Today, they don't want that. They turn you out, say, yeah, give some summonses, you know. Yeah. They want you to generate uh, cash for the city. They don't want bad guys off the street, and the proof is that they let them right out. They let them right out, exactly. You know, and they got these programs that are, it just goes against our grain, you know. Yeah. When you do police work, you're there. You know, you want to hire meter maids and stuff like that to do the summons work, but you need cops to get violent criminals. There's certain people, and they come in all colors and ethnicities, that don't belong with the rest of society. Absolutely. That's why there's prisons from the beginning of times. They have to be separated. There's some people that just not fit to live with other people until they learn to behave. Yeah. And the police make that distinction and bring them to court, and nobody does the job. There's no accountability after the police. They always, we're the bottom of the line, and we're the pawns in this political game that's played. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I don't think people realize that. It is. We're the pawns. You know? That's all you, you know, why don't they, hold, if a guy gets out and kills somebody, the judge should be held accountable. You let the guy, you give a guy 20 days for a crime he should be doing 10 years for? Yeah. You yeah. murder people, you take a life, and you're not justified, you belong in jail. You I know, agree at least, wholeheartedly. At least for a specific, they assault police today. They order police to stand down. Well, they know they'll get it. The criminals know that they'll be able. If I carry they a gun and I get collared, a, a day later I can go out and do the same thing. Yeah, they know that. Yeah, they know that's that. the thing. I mean, a lot, a lot of these uh, guys are, 
have a, are way more versed than some public defenders. Of course they are. They know they're, the law like better. the back of their hand. Exactly. They know the living and out of the system yeah. so they know. more than the, the DAs yeah. that are handling it. They know. And the social media plays a big part of it, and they can pull up. What What, what advice would you give to like a cop coming on a job now? If you, if you Man, could sit you down know, with a guy who's in the academy right now, what advice would you give them? I would say uh, try not to get involved because you're going you're gonna to lose your job, you're going to lose your benefits, and you're probably going to lose your freedom. You know, you, yeah. I saw, I'm still very tight with cops, and I, I, I see, uh, I know a lot of the stuff that goes on today. Mm-hmm. I was privy when it first came out with that uh, training video on the compression stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I have no idea. I really don't. And the people who make up these rules and laws and procedures, I can tell you one thing about them for sure. I can tell you they've never been in a fight. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. But I don't know how any cop can fight a perpetrator without breaking the law. Yeah, by following following those guidelines. Yeah, you can't yeah. fight a guy, I don't care, unless you're maybe, it's like a 10th degree black belt. You know, That's a big maybe. Yeah, right. but otherwise, you need like four cops to fight a, a guy who wants to resist arrest because all you could do is grab an arm and a leg. You can't touch their throat, you can't touch their neck, you can't touch the rib cage, you can't compress anything. Anything that restricts blood flow or airflow. I saw that video, it, it's, it's sickening. How could you be a cop? It's tough, man. It, it's, that's tough. You see, that you get a cop is getting it from both sides now. Mm-hmm. You know, you, they have no backing, and that's the most important thing in police work. Yeah. You know, at least we only faced bad guys, real violent criminals and stuff, but we had DAs that were ready to prosecute. We had bosses who wanted you to get them. Yeah, everybody was on the same page. The, everybody on the, the criminal uh, enforcement side, the up same. the line. You need, you need police are first, then your DAs, then your judges, then your parole board, and the administration. Mm-hmm. The administration from the top sets the guidelines, and it all flows, the shit flows downhill. Yeah, sets the tone. And that yeah. sets the tone, and yeah. it rolls downhill, and the cop is at the bottom. He does his job, but there's no one else doing the other steps the to here. make the job complete. So the, t- the cop has it very tough today. It's, yeah. It was always a tough and dangerous job, but it got tougher and tougher and more dangerous because, like I say, when the, the guy's let a guy do certain things to him, the next cop got to face the guy. The guy feels he can get away with that with you, so it makes it tough for the next cop. Yeah, It's just a vicious cycle. I mean, I, I, I get guys that ask me stuff all the time, and I'm like, listen, man, just do the best you can to stay safe and keep your fellow brother yeah, you and know, sister cop safe. Exactly. That's the best, that's the best advice you, I can yeah, give them. A cop in itself is the kind of guy that's going to help a civilian. Yeah. So they're going to do that. But if it's other stuff, don't go looking for it. Yeah. Like I think anti-crime work today, uh, they don't call it anti-crime. They yeah, gave a new, ga- public, a new public, title. Public safety. Uh, yeah, and gun suppression units. They do the same thing. But these guys, they're just so gung-ho like I was, but they got no backing. I, I, I don't know how they do their job. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I give them a lot of credit. I, don't, I always felt all the time I'm out of the job, I'm going on close to 38 years retired, I always felt I could do the job. I could come back yeah. and do it because I, I always felt I could make it work. Yeah. The last two years, no. there's no way I no could way. do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I gave up. I, I couldn't come back and no. do the job these guys do today. Yeah, I mean, because it's a completely different time now as far as, like, administration. Um, and you also have to look at... The cameras ruined everything, too. Yeah, I was going to say that. Um, cameras changed, I think, the whole... Um, trajectory of what police work is um, because now you 
give or take where you're at, right? But nine times out of 10, there's a camera in the vicinity of something, yeah. right? So like they have fiber optics that run through cities and you can literally <clears throat> zoom into a, a freckle on somebody's face. So you kind of got to think about that, right? So it's perception. Perception is everything. You may be doing something and this guy, maybe he swings at you. The camera doesn't catch that. Right. The camera catches an angle right. of you just cleaning this guy's clock. Exactly. And now it just looks like an unprovoked, you know, assault by a police officer. And then it, it gets doled out to the media. That's and then when you get civilians doing it, they right. only click on the camera when oh, yeah. they want to stop. Absolutely. The, the, last you know, the, guy the story is the told. Cop, yeah. He doesn't film that. Yeah. And when the cop punches him, that gets... And then they put it out to social media. Yeah. So that then the media picks it up. Yeah. That leads to... But you see, some of the technology is really good in helping cops. Yeah. Because if you get a crime, you could see which cause and stuff, and people have walked five blocks away or ten blocks away who it led to It saved me that. several times. There's a lot of technology. You got your DNA today. You got better blood testing. Um, you got there's uh, better cameras. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, the technology is beyond what we had. We didn't even have cell they, we had. We only got, uh, in the early 70s, we just started with the portable radios that hardly worked. And underground, they didn't work for transit at all. I think they still have trouble with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, they still stuff, have them. You know, because of the, the steel hole. and everything down yeah. there. But we, if I had, imagine if I had a cell phone or a beeper, they could, I could have, perp I mean, CIs telling me, oh, yeah, that guy got a gun and this guy did that crime. Yeah. They, they, call, they had to call the desk. The desk had a 10-1 or 10-2 me. Mm -hmm. I had to find a call box or drive in. Yeah. It was a different game. I mean, Police today... It, totally different now. You know what they called high tech? Let me give you an idea what we called high tech. We were going to the range at Rodman's Neck, Rodman's you know, Neck. doing our qualifications. And they told us we're going to upgrade it. We got some high tech stuff. What they did with high tech was put an abandoned car, a fire hydrant, and a parking meter. <laughs> you could hide behind this now. This is cover. And get this is cover and support because you could put your hand on the trunk of the car Jeez. or on the top of a parking meter. So this was what we called high tech. There was no such thing as speed loaders, laser sights. None and of that. Nothing. It was nothing. We didn't have computers. You know what we had? We had a thing called uh, the FATN machine. It was a big thing like this. And it would print out the paper with the holes on both sides. Yeah. And you had to take down license plates. It was like hundreds of thousands of stolen plates. And at wow. roll call, you're, they passed this around. And on, in, the, in your memo book on the back page... Not that you write on the back of the page. Mm -hmm. You were responsible for writing down 10 plate numbers. Jesus. Yeah. You know what the odds were? I'm better off if you can win the lottery again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to think about it now. It's like most kids, if you tell them the Wi-Fi is out, they'll lose their mind. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And this guy had a whole career. majority of his career, we didn't, in, there was no high-tech devices to assist. I had none. We had yeah. none. Yeah. I can't got out, and then they invented beepers. Beepers and cell phones uh, was after. Beepers. We didn't even live. Yeah, you too young for that, bro. Well, beepers were it. very big before right, right, cell right. phones came. Jay, how are we looking? Uh, I got about like five minutes. Before I got to head to work after this. Before we run into the questions, we're going to ask you some questions to get the listeners sure. to know yourself. The When you were talking about the license plates, it just brought me up to the son of Sam. Did that... David Berkowitz. Was that how... I think with today's technology, they would have caught him They would have caught him, yeah, absolutely. For you... Where was there a person where you were like, oh, I really want to be on this case? Or oh, the, everybody. Like, why were you on that case? And tell us really how the city was. Was it? The city was horrified. Girls were dyeing their hair a different color because he was sort of hitting a certain color type, right? And um, it, it impacted because, you know, in those years, everybody, no one had their own apartments and stuff. Or it was different. And everyone went to these places where you make out. And that's where he was hitting, you know, when couples were making out in the car and stuff. Right, right. And with the technology of today, 
they would have caught him a lot sooner because they would have been able to catch license plates in the vicinity of the shootings. Um, but everybody did worked on the Son of Sam case. There was a task force, and there were detectives assigned, but everybody had tips from their informants, and everybody wanted to catch him. I mean, that was like that was like you know catching a it. black panther that killed cops or BLA. You know, uh, it, that would have made your career. Yeah, everybody wanted to catch him. You know, he was he monopolized the uh, newspapers for like a year or so. It was a parking ticket. Dude, I grew yep. up. Yeah, it was a parking ticket. Uh, the guy wrote in Brooklyn, and they sort of connected it, and that's how they called. They oh. led it to Yonkers. It led yeah, to West forty two Pine. Yeah. So he lived. So I grew up. Uh, on North Broadway, right down the street from me, 42 Pine Street. He was right street. over the line yeah. from Bronx to Yonkers. And that's where he lived, 42 Pine Street, David Berkowitz. And he worked Parking in the Bronx. Town. He worked in the Grand Concourse, you know. Holy he shit. Was I a, never knew that. He worked in the post office, the big one, near like 149th Street. My, my grandma lived on, grew up on Elton Avenue. She said that David Berkowitz's father owned like a candy shop, and she used to remember seeing him in there. When they were I know he young. was adopted. He Something was like a, living yeah. with adopted parents. He got caught over a parking ticket. If he never got caught, he probably, who knows how long. Yeah, he long on that, 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 that killing well, He went, went pretty off. long. It was a terrible was, thing. Yeah. <laughs> they had New York in fear. Um, I covered a little of it in my show. Um, right. uh, it, we were touched on it. There was like some historians talk about it because it was 1977. And it, he had the city uh, terrorized. Was that Actually, the same? 77, was that the same as the, the blackout? blackout? Yeah. Yep. We covered that too. Yeah. And my book, Street Warrior, and the show, Street Justice Bronx, both available on uh, Amazon.com. Son of Sam. But we touch on those subjects, the blackout. We touch on the uh, um, Son of Sam. So reading up on the Son of Sam, and and, you know, I don't want to say I'm into serial killers. That'll sound weird. But the mind of a serial killer is that he said the whole dog was speaking to him, so his plea could be, you know, insanity. Insanity. That was all made up, but he he did it intentional. That's why it was just, you know. I mean, most serial killers have high right. IQs. And then that led to people following the son of Sam and trying to be like him. And then that's when serial killing really, really started to pick up a lot more throughout. So. You know, I had a friend, real fast story, who was a, a prison guard, corrections officer. And he, uh, he's a, he died now, rest in peace, Richie. Uh, he collected art from all serial killers. Wow. Oh, your, your, your buddy did? Yeah. Did he meet Berkowitz? He met, uh, yeah, he met everybody. He Holy met everybody. Shit. And you know what he did? This is funny. I'm a, I used to talk to this guy late at night. I'm a late owl. He was a night owl. And uh, we were talking on the phone one night, right? And we get the operator interrupts the phone and says, uh, this was on our home lines. We didn't have cell phones then. And it, they interrupt the line. I'm not 100% sure, but it was the prison. I'm not sure which killer. He was getting killed in the morning. He was being executed. He wanted to say goodbye to my friend Richie. And Holy they, shit. He said, you got to... Uh, collect call. call coming in. Yeah, the operator used to interrupt your call. You could do that with your friends too, you know, if you thought you told an operator, say, I think there's a problem, could you interrupt the call? Say it's an emergency. Oh. And we used to use the phones on the street, just getting back to police work. They, uh, you could pick up any pay phone and say, this is Detective Friedman, shield so-and-so. And it would pass and the call right You through. don't have to put a oh, money in the, into, a me, into a phone. Never knew that. You know, and uh, so we got interrupted by this prisoner calling to say goodbye to Richie. He was being executed in the morning. I'm not, I think it was, it might have been Wayne Gazy, okay. one of these guys. Well, I'm not <sighs> sure which one I forgot over the years. This was many, many, many years ago. But Damn, uh, bro. Uh, they interrupted and the guy wanted to say goodbye. He collected all Straight up history lesson today, dude. You know? It's great. Because today they wouldn't let, you know, that probably be... They wouldn't That's let you taboo, do bro. some kind of that, corruption yeah. or something right, right. if you're collecting something Taking from the something, prisoner because right. it would be worth money. Sell, yeah, exactly. He had a collection to fill his room. 
of all paintings. Yes. He'd be the, the guard and he'd say, hey, listen. He'd get friendly with them and say, hey, could you uh, draw something for me? And he'd collect them. Wow. Some of them could actually draw, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. I don't doubt it. I guess it. they got nothing right. else to do. They, they got nothing else to do. Work, out, to work out, sleep, or draw. Right. <laughs> you know? But it was some interesting stories that I came across over my career. Well, Ralph, we really want to thank you for coming on the show. Before my, we, my pleasure and my honor. Before we wrap up, a few quick questions for you. Sure. All right, you ready? I'm always ready. All right, one meal to eat for the rest of your life, every single day, the same meal, healthy or unhealthy, what are you going with? Healthy. What kind of, what meal? Probably steak and shrimp. Oh, steak and shrimp, all right, a little surf and turf. What yeah. Kind of, what kind of carbohydrate would you choose with that? Uh, mashed potato. All or, right. or rice, or rice. I like all rice right. too. All right. I like that. Was that, your go, was that a go-to meal on patrol? Did you, t- did no, you eat a lot of the same things? A lot of pizza on patrol. Oh, wow. Okay. Real I figured that was the best uh, fast food. Yeah. I wasn't into yeah. like a McDonald's or Wendy's thing. I mean, pizza, you know, it was sort of good for you. And Bronx pizza is the best. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, I definitely agree with that. <laughs> if you have two workout movements, any type of workout movements to do for the rest of your life every day, and it's the same recovery process for your body, which two are you doing? Um, probably curls and bench or pull, and pull downs. Pull downs and lat pull downs. Yeah, lat pull downs and bench. I mean, he looks like he's still in pretty good shape yeah. too, bro. So seventy-two. Yeah, man, still got it, baby. Solid, Never left. Mike saw my gym. I built a pretty nice gym. Rock and roll, Ralph, baby. That's can't it. lift like I used to. I mean, when you get old, one thing is you can't. I, I tried every which way. You can't maintain any mass. You just can't. Your body slowed down. Every, your testosterone, you know, I mean, everything. I mean, I've held down, it a long time. Test. But I'm seventy-two now. I never took any drugs. Never. Actually, I wasn't scared of shootouts and hitting apartments. I was scared of using steroids. I, I don't know why. Man. I just, I did everything with meat and potato guy. You know, I grew up on steak. I mean, um, he still looks decent size, yeah, bro. He, he ain't does. a small dude. Exactly. So, I mean, I'll take but, it. I uh, mean, I can only imagine in his prime, he probably right. was a monster. I, was, I saw I pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a bodybuilder that you looked up to, like, when it started becoming big, like Frank Colombo, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Lou Ferdinand? Yeah, Fred, all, all those, those, guys. those the, guys. Who was your favorite if you had to pick one? Probably, I like Lou Ferrigno. Lou Ferrigno. I didn't like, Schwarzenegger was... I don't know, like a conceited type of guy. Yeah. He used to, if you saw that movie, yeah. uh, he used to taunt uh, Ferregno and yeah. stuff. I didn't yeah. like that. Oh, on yeah. Netflix you're talking about? Columbo check- was good. Yeah, yeah. Hanley. Remember Hanley? Mm-mm. Hanley. Mm-mm. He won the uh, Olympia like six times. Okay. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's old school, old school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. real old school. Yeah, yeah, the Hulk. Yeah. So you're the Hulkster. The, well, the Hulk was yeah. uh, not the wrestler, but the Hulk no, was the- also... Uh, Lou Ferrigno, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, his, uh, just to make fans, I don't know if you know, but his, his father was lieutenant on our job. Really? Yeah. Never knew that. See? Yeah. And you know, he had a speech impediment. Yeah, a speech yeah, impediment, yeah. 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 Wow. Oh, I did not know. Oh, Lou yeah. Father, dad was I met his father. I met him at a car show, I think, in the uh, Coliseum when it was on 59th Street. They used oh. to have a car and motorcycle show every year. Wow. And I met Lou was signing autographs there. And uh, I went up and met the father because I knew he was a lieutenant. And uh, I introduced myself as on wow. the job. And That's I met crazy. Didn't know that. Was he as big as Lou or no? No. <laughs> no, yeah. no one was big as Lou. Yeah. Lou was a monster. Um, one person to hang out with, dead or alive, who would you ha- want to hang out with? Oh, wow. That's a hard one. One person, dead or alive. Someone you met, someone you never met. It could be anyone. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd like to meet um, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris. That's a good one. Chuck Norris. Yeah. I'll take that. You know? I, I I'd like to meet him. He's pretty. He's in great shape too, and he's all. He's well, you're the you're the Chuck Norris in our eyes of NYPD, you know. <laughs> exactly. Legends never die. So that, yeah, that's our that's our first one. Yeah, first one. That's the first time I heard Chuck Norris. We walk out of the room, right? We lift the guitar. We're like Ralph. Here's a time machine. You can go anywhere in the past or the future. 
anywhere. Early 70s. Where are you going? You going back to the 70s? Oh, yeah, he man. said it with no like, hesitation. You can go back to you go to the 1800s and 1900s. Years, so, my five years in the 401 anti And you're going to go as Ralph now, just so you know, like the same person. Oh, man, I just go back and buy Amazon stock. <laughs> <laughs> Create Amazon before it. Yeah. <laughs> Create old Jeff Bezos. No, I'd like to be the, my years in the 4-1. Those guys was, are fucking great. The time I had, I was like a king. You're in contact was, with any of those guys? Oh, or? yeah, a lot of them. A lot of them. Some of them were on my show. I talked to a lot of them. I, we're That's still dope, friends. Bro. The guys I, are tight. There's I a 4-1 club the, page. The early years are like the best. Those are the yeah, my most fun was my first five years. I say that all the time. Yeah, you see? I mean, I wasn't rock and roll like this man, but... Uh, the um, I one, baby. It was just... It was a great time to be a cop. Yeah. You know? You know, it was just a great time to be a cop because you were feared and respected. Say, yeah. And you were doing something good. It felt good. I was on the top of my game as far as police work and working out. You know, I, was, I went into the academy. You know, I was like 202 pounds was my top... And it was all muscle, and I felt great. I did great. And they, they thought I was a little wise guy. When you had to do the chin-ups, you know, I banged out 15, and I was still hanging on the thing. <laughs> and the guy goes, I don't like the way you do them. You got to do them over. You got to do five. So I banged out another 15 while I was still hanging there. And the guy, okay, you pass. You, know, you didn't like it, man. And then uh, another guy came in and did it, right? And he did real good like me. And the guy, and the, man, there was another guy in here who did it just like you. And it winds up, it was my workout partner, my friend before oh, we became wow, cop. That's funny. Wow, Mike Roth. He became a sergeant. He was a, uh, you know, and he was my workout partner. I love it. We man. hung out before we were cops. You know, I love it, man. Jay, you got any questions? But those are the years. Yeah, I say I'd say seventy to seventy-five, uh, right, and the top it. it off was seventy-five, making detective. Oh man, that's great. 75, man, was a good you know, year. Yeah. My dad you, talks about it. When you showed your shield, when you showed your shield, you were like a god, you know? Yeah. You know, police shield. Those are the glory days, man. When, you know, I, I, it'll be some time before it gets back to that, man. But but it will come back. It will it come back, to. like you said. Because it, it can't go on like this. Otherwise, it's going to be change. a jungle. This next decade is yeah. going to be really tough it, for law enforcement. It's, it's going to, I think this, it's going to get a little worse, but it has to, it has to get better at some point. The pendulum swings both ways. And they're not going to go for this law and order forever. Just like they did when before Giuliani took over. Yeah. You know? He wasn't good for cops' contracts, but he was good for the citizens for, and the yeah, cops. Yeah, he, got, you know, you're, he backed, he backed you're back the to cops, being a right? cop. You're gonna, yeah. There's going to have to be politicians, and the agendas will have to change. Yeah, it, It's going to have to make New York will just go under because you, you, New York relies on tourism, and no one's coming no in. No one's right coming now. in, everybody's leaving. You know, in 75, it got that bad. We had these things. I still have one at home. The original they had pamphlets. It said, Fear City. Fear City. Yeah. They gave him out. It was a big skeleton on the head on the front of the thing. And you open it up. It said on the front said Fear City. And you open it up. It says, do not go out at night alone. Yeah, can you get me Don't a picture of that, moon. Mikey? Mikey, you give know? me a picture of that, bro. I need that. It's like the movie The Warriors. Yeah, well, that was sort of, like, later, that wasn't yeah. the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, Street Justice or the Bronx Warriors. You had that in the, in, in the show, Fear City. Uh, yeah, I, I think I they mentioned it. Oh, you know what? Maybe I see it in the Maybe building, in the, bil in the building too. I think we have that in the building somewhere. Maybe. Like, it, it was a little dampen that he gave out. But there's like a picture. In the streets and in the airport. There's a picture of it. I, I got to see that. See they that. probably showed a front with the skeleton head and said right. Fierce. I'm going to Google that, though. Yeah. I got to see that. It's a mid 70s. It's, get, it's getting back to it. I it'll, think. it'll probably come right up. Yeah. Look at Fierce City uh, pamphlets from the 70s. Gotcha. All right. It was a different time. It, 
It sure was. Sure it was. It sure yeah. was. Well, Ralph, thanks again so much. But you much. know what? In 20 years, you guys will be telling the same. Yeah, like, I don't think I have such story. great stories like this. No, man, not, not, well, when not it's even the common, when it changes. Yeah. And they let guys be cops again. Yeah, dude. I, I, I hope Which I sure comes. hope is soon. I hope so. Because it's uh, getting bad yeah, there it there. is. Welcome to Fear City. Oh, yes, yeah, right there. Yeah. My bodyguard, Mike Mancuso, found it. <laughs> Mikey. Thanks, Mikey. Um, See, listen, that, they gave those out. Could you imagine walking crazy. around the city? It's getting right back out? to it, man. It's getting right back to Thanks, it. Thanks, Mike. Today was a a, a, a humbling experience, man, to sit down with you, Ralph. I, I mean, I appreciate you having me on. Man, I, I enjoy this. Once I get started. Oh, yeah, dude. I love oh, yeah, it, we man. Could have kept, we could definitely have kept going for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe we'll do it again. Yeah, round Maybe two. Maybe we'll do down it again. There. So, for all you guys who are. Um, you know, uh, subscribers and listeners to us, you know where to find us uh, inside the Labyrinth podcast. You can find us on all major streaming platforms, um, Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And you can find me on Instagram at the real Jumpman J. Frankie, where can they find you? They can find me at reps underscore four underscore responders, reps for responders dot org. Shoot me an email, reps for responders at gmail dot com. We're always here for you guys. Ralph, where could they find what's your website? Your My blog, website is a. Uh, BronxStreetWarrior.com. 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 All right, man. So, uh, and I have a lot of stuff if you Google my name or Street Warrior or Street Justice, the Bronx. There's a lot of stuff on uh, YouTube. Aces. Right. This yeah. will be on YouTube, too. And before we wrap up, there's one quote that's going to stick me stick with me for a while. And it, <laughs> it, it resonates with the rest of responders' mission. Is Ralph was explaining and how humble he was is that he can never do this alone. And that he's all together. I, I mean, I can so fight. That's, that's I what couldn't fight the whole Bronx myself. Yeah, you can't do this alone. So please, if you ever need anything, reach out. We're always here. Thanks for listening. All right, guys. See you next week.